Swipe with one hand, E answer, Skype with the other. Okay, I got it. I don't even know where you're coming from, Professor. What? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. Okay. You're listening to Just One of the Guys, where I'm certain this song is about a rash of random entryway vandalism. Welcome to another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast hosted by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. My name's Sean Nickel, and what I do on the show is talk about Green Lantern comics, specifically the Green Lantern comics starting with cover date June 1990 and ending with cover date November 2004, all the while putting a special emphasis on my favorite characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner, the two greatest Green Lanterns ever in comics. And this time out, we're going to be taking a look at a story that deals with Kyle Rayner and Oliver Queen as we work through the Black Circle and Urban Knight storyline that was the ending point of the Judd Winnick run over in Green Lantern. First off, we're going to have Green Arrow number 24, where we figure out what's going on with this weird alien that we found out about last time. Then we're going to move in to Green Lantern number 163, where Kyle and Oliver take on a group of aliens who are trying to smuggle... Bleach. Yeah, it's it's weird. I don't know what's going on, but hopefully we'll find out before the story is done. And once again, I brought along someone to help me with this podcast today. You may know him from the relatively geeky side of podcast. He does his own show over there called the Quarterbin Podcast, as well as a show with his daughter Emily, the Short Box Showcase. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to welcome the emissary from the uh, Kingdom of Latveria, Professor. Alan Middleton. Hello, Hello, Professor. Sean. How's it going today? Great. Glad, glad to be here. I appreciate you. know, you're you're the one who's pretty much come on for the majority of the crossovers that I've had between Green Lantern and Green Arrow, and this being the last crossover that we're going to have, essentially in the Just One of the Guys run, I thought it would only be proper to have you on again. So thank you for coming on. I appreciate that. Glad to do it. Um, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, this is going to be an interesting read. Uh, I've got some interesting comments about the art. Charlie Adler, as artist here, uh, mm-hmm. is, is an interesting choice, and I can't wait to get to talk about this. Let's do it. Okay, so we will do it as soon as we take a quick little podcast promo break, which we will play some trailers for a tra- for a show that I know I love, and I'm certain that Alan will be starring in. And once we get back, we will start into our coverage of Green Arrow number 24.
Mr. Scott, shall we give the Enterprise a proper shakedown? I would say it's time for that, sir. I... Before this drama unfolds, we give welcome to the ones named Kirk and Spock. You! What planet is this? Which one of you is the captain? Do we violate the treaty, Captain? Sir, someone is stealing the Enterprise. What are you scratching at? Humans make illogical decisions. Destruct sequence completed and engaged. No! Yes, I found Mr. Spock! I'm fucking Mr. Spock to understand! Starfleet, do you read? This is the Enterprise. We are under attack. Fire, Mr. Scott. Star Trek Monthly Monday, covering every episode of the classic original TV series in randomly selected order, on the second Monday of every month, at twotruefreaks.com. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the quarter bin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarter Bin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com, or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. And we're back. So this time out, we're going to once again forego emails. Keep those cards and letters coming, folks, at just one of the guys podcast at gmail.com. But for now, we're ready to take a look at the first comic this time out, which is Green Arrow number 24. And Professor Allen, you have the synopsis, sir. Yes. Uh, Green Arrow 24. I acquired this book for a dollar and ten cents, meaning I got ripped off. Oh, I'm sorry. sorry. I start every synopsis like that. It's a bad habit. What is what that? I meant to say? Was that like four? That's like four and a half. You know, four and a half times what you'd actually want to pay what I for. Prefer it. to pay for. Oh uh, well, and I, I apologize for for jipping you. The che- the Debonsecore check stipend <laughs> check will be in the mail. Not uh, not every not every issue of every book ever published is in the quarter bins. <laughs> Strange thing about that. Sad. Well, Green Arrow twenty four is Black Circle Urban Nights Part Three of Six. The cover includes the notation with Green Lantern, and gives pretty much equal space to the four characters on the cover of Kyle, Jade, Connor, and Ollie. 
The story is titled Hero Worship and was scripted by Ben Robb with pencils and inks by Charlie Adler, as Sean mentioned, colors by Tatiana Wood, and letters by Jack Morelli. We open with a scene of Kyle Rayner playing Kissy Kissy Smoochy Face with the owner of the world's most luscious pair of green lips, the love of his life, Jade. Now, she is actually thinking with her, you know, brain, and is wondering why they are hanging out on his sofa instead of trying to corral those alien drug dealers. She is referring, of course, to the Black Circle, which I'm sure was discussed awesomely in the last episode of this podcast. (laughs) But Kyle convinces her that with both green arrows on the case, they can, you know, do other stuff. And anyway, Connor will call if there's an emergency. Ring! Ring! Connor tries to tell Kyle about the alien ship that Ollie stumbled across in the previous chapter, but ends up mostly fighting with Ollie. Kyle is a bit confused about all this and lanterns himself off to Star City, where he and Ollie quickly express their mutual dislike for each other. Ollie is too old for Kyle to respect, and Kyle is too much of a popular pretty boy for Ollie to really trust. Ollie then shows Kyle the alien he discovered, and Kyle cannot believe what he sees. Abin Sor? That's impossible! He's dead! And never in comic books did dead people rise from the grave! Or is there weird time anomalies? How can this be? Well, actually, Kyle is correct this time. It's actually not Abin Sor, it's Amon Sor, Abin's kid who was born shortly after bequeathing his ring to Hal Jordan. Connor asks Amon to tell his story to Kyle. Amon Sir links with Kyle's ring to explain he's part of a special police force tracking the Black Circle and needs help stopping them from getting a foothold on Earth. So our team of two Green Arrows, one Green Lantern, and one Son of a Green Lantern plan to head out to Amon's ship to gather some tracking equipment that will allow him to locate the disguised alien drug runners. Ollie thinks that the team is one person too big. One Green Lantern too big, as a matter of fact. Um, let's say that words are exchanged. Words such as smarmy little punk, crusty old goat, wannabe, and throwback. Connor calls them both big old babies, and they head head out together, holding hands and singing Kumbaya. Except for that last part, which I made up. When they get to the ship, they find the tracking equipment smashed to bits. It has evidently been consequenced by somebody. And they suspect sabotage. Ali points out that this means that they know Amon Sir is hot on their trail. The group is targeted by a lone assassin wearing the traditional villain color scheme of purple and orange. Ali is shot, but not too seriously. The assassin then suicides himself before they can get him to talk, or at least talk in a way that they can translate. They do deduce that a cargo cruiser is on its way to the planet. Not if we intercept it first, Kyle points out. Kyle and Amon Sir fly into space to try to stop the cruiser, and we actually have a pretty interesting conversation about the GL Corps. Amon Sir was pretty proud of his father, and we get the idea that he wanted to follow in his footsteps if he could. They end up in the exact segment of space where the deal is supposed to go down, but nothing is there. Nothing except a cloaked ship, which decloaks and blasts them both. Back on Earth, Ali and Kana try to track the Black Circle in Star City. Ali is also ambushed by another of the aliens, and apparently 
left for dead. The end. Dun, dun, dun. High drama. Yeah, that's one of the things that I really enjoyed about this book. Um, Thomas DJ had kind of warned me that Ben Rabe coming onto the Green Lantern book was one of the weaker bits in in the run of the Green Lantern book from this era. And so far, I haven't seen that. Mm-hmm. Ben Rabe's storytelling has been engaging. The last few stories have had some nice, uh, uh, some nice cliffhanger endings. It moves well. The only thing that I've found difficult about these stories is the relationship between Ollie and Kyle. Mm-hmm. I understand there should be some antagonism, and I understand that Green Arrow kind of may have some negative feelings about Kyle, specifically because he had such a friendship with Hal Jordan. But the antagonism, I think, goes a bit too far and feels a bit forced. I think of the two issues we'll be covering here, I think I liked the banter in this one more than in the Green Lantern issue. And when we get into the details, we can talk about that. I think sort of in general, I think I'm on your little bit on your on your same page there. Overall, I kind of like this issue. Um, I think any time a book from the 2000s takes this long to read, that's already a big step toward me liking it. Mm-hmm. You know, in, this, in, the, in that sense, it's sort of read more like a book from the mid 80s. And to me, that's a compliment. Yes. There, there's there's a lot more dialogue here that we are getting in to the era of stories being written for the trade. And you right. automatically think of uh, Brian Michael Bendis on The Ultimates, where one one comic will take you, oh, about two and a half minutes to read. <laughs> it's all pretty pictures and spa- splash pages uh, and not much dialogue. This right. at least gives you... Not only some some good characterization, some good artwork. There are some points that I'll point out during the run that are kind of hit and miss, but you know, overall a good story and good characterization. And, you know, and any time you, you, know, you talk about writing for the trade, and this obviously is a six part story, and but it, it didn't read like just a middle chapter. And you know, any time you have that six issue series or story like this. I compare it to something that we know well, those six-part classic Doctor Who serials mm-hmm. that we both know and sometimes loved and sometimes not so much. And often in those, it's episodes three and four that are the filler, that exactly. are the stretch, that are the lots of running around down corridors, or as fans know, lots of running down the same corridor over and over again mm-hmm. <laughs> um, without much necessarily happening in those episodes. But – you know, obviously not, not having read, uh, issues one or two of this series or hearing your comments on them, it seems like, you know, part of the plot was advanced here. And so, and, 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 and you know, the character bits were, were in, interesting as well. So again, there appears to be stuff happening, which you don't always get in these middle segments of stories. Yes. Yeah. The, the, you get more expansion of the character that we met at the end of the last book of mm-hmm. Amansur. We get the idea of him being part of this police force, but we also, since he's suddenly come up right as these drug dealers have come up on Earth, or these bleach dealers, whatever you want to call them, 
it's you've got to kind of be suspicious of him uh-huh. showing up yeah. at this time. So right. it's it's an interesting, you know, I think both Ben Rabe and Judd Winnick are, are plotting the story together really well. And uh, like I said, Charlie Adler, who's known nowadays more for being an artist on The Walking Dead, does a does a pretty good job with the art in the book. Um, do you want to go into specifics? Uh, you, yeah. you commented on the cover. I like the cover. I think everyone yeah. gets gets good uh, gets a good amount of face time in the cover. Uh, I will say there's a bit of awkwardness with um with Connor and Jade. Jade's legs look a bit too elongated. Yeah, maybe a little bit. You could possibly say that might be because she's traveling. But I like the I like the layout of the page where. Kyle's looking to the left, Ollie's looking to the right, yes. and you see Connor kind of dropping down while Jade's flying up, and right. it's it's a and, neat composition. And every, every, everything's at right angles, and everything's vertical or horizontal, mm-hmm. and I like that. Again, it, it, just a real nice sense of, of design to it. Like you said, Ollie and Connor are facing one direction, and Kyle is facing the other, and they're not directly face-to-face, but I think they're that conflict is being represented there. Yes. And of course, Jade is not in the issue a whole lot, but you know, we never complain about her being on a cover. No, I, I think, I think, I think Adler does a good job drawing her. I just think that her, her leg seems a bit extended. Yeah, the only other that. negative thing is, and I've commented about this a lot of times with, uh, when we have the trick shooters on here, mm-hmm. that the whole holding the bow sideways mm, and pulling right. the string back over your arm like it's a crossbow almost, but, yes. you know, but it's seems, not designed. Yeah, yeah, seems seems like a a way that shouldn't work effectively. The for way he's bow. holding that, no, that would no, that would rub right against his forearm. Mm-hmm. And you know, but and that's yeah. But I guess the no prize would be well, he's so trained in shooting arrows exactly. that he could maneuver it that way. But yeah, but I th- I, th- I think it's just a great looking piece of art, really. Yeah, it's I it's, think a lot's being done with shading and shades of. Different shades of green, blacks, and whites. Mm-hmm. I, it, I think it's real good. It's 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 a, it's a nice looking cover. It's a very mm-hmm. eye catching. Yeah. Uh, um, moving into the book, I think Adler. Uh, the one thing that I've seen with the heroes specifically, the heroes seem to be drawn to look stock image like the DC heroes. And I think he does a good job with them. With Jenny, I think he's able to go a little bit further because it's not a specific hero image like Green Lantern or Green Arrow that he has to get. So Jenny's facial expressions look a bit more natural. Mm -hmm. But uh, Kyle seems to look kind of generic, unfortunately. I I think on this first page, I think Jenny is really cute. Mm -hmm. But she's not glamorous, but she's at home. Yes. You know, so that 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 makes sense. I know I like I like that choice. You know, she's just comfortable. Mm-hmm. And, and and to, to be honest, and, Kyle, I was going to say, and 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 the banter is pretty fun and flirty yes. as well. That's the, that's why I'm I'm saying I I'm I, I, my fears are kind of being alleviated about how Ben Rabe yeah. may be writing the book after this because he seems to have a good handle on the characters. Um, moving on to page two, uh. I'm glad that we have Connor in the book. However, looking at well, let me start with the top of the page. I like the fact that we get those sort of four images across the top that are all in, first of all in silhouette, showing what is probably going funny. to be happening. And that then, is pretty funny. There's a scene because it's just in silhouette, 
Jenny's clearly taking her top off. And then the phone rings, and she's pulling it back down with sort of a grimace on yeah, her face. Yeah, that, that third panel. Like I said, Adler does a good job with getting her facial expressions, and he gets that sort of annoyed look. And you don't exactly. see you don't see any skin. It's all intubated. It's all put in silhouette. So it's it's nice without being. It, it, you get what's going on without it being gratuitous, which is what and, I like. Yeah, and let me just say about her annoyed face. There, I've been married twenty eight years. I've never seen this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you probably never have either, but uh, theoretically, yeah, that, that, if a woman were mildly annoyed at one of us, hypothetically, yeah. it could perhaps look like that. I, I'm assuming that he that Adler must be drawing from some other form of fiction that that happens because I don't think any any male who has any type of experience with relationships has ever seen a facial expression like this. <laughs> the only other note that I had on this page, and I don't know if this looks right to you, but the uh, bottom, I guess the sixth panel there where uh, Connor's handing the phone to Ollie, put a ponytail on the back of Connor and a little scar on the cheek. Oh, wow. And that looks exactly like Andrea from The Walking Dead. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I, I just had to point that out. There are some times where the characters that are not specific hero characters look exactly like swipes from the walking dead and it's surprising because like i said adler won't start the walking dead book for at least another year from now right but uh i thought that was kind <laughs> of funny um let's see where's my next note page four that second panel that's an awkward kiss i mean it, sometimes they are from what i understand uh, but yes, it, it is. It, it looks like they're trying to press their faces together rather than just kiss. I, I know it's supposed to be passionate, but uh, it's just a bit off. Um, I, I liked on page five mm -hmm. where Green Arrow is jealous of some of the other heroes. Mm -hmm. There's... I think that's a real interesting touch in into his insecurities and just into his character. Well, and uh, from what I gather, he has been he's been dead and brought back to life, which I agree has never happened before in comicdom. I don't know why this is, you know, this is this is something really special. But I, I like the artistic designs of uh, some of the drawings of what the kids have done. Superman looks a bit beefy. <laughs> I mean, he looks more like Bouncing Boy, and. Aquaman looks like George Harrison. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't know if this is supposed to be the uh, Peter David bearded hook hand Aquaman, but he's wearing the orange shirt and he's got. He, I, I'm sorry, he looks like George Harrison. He's got dark curly I, I, hair. I I think those are pretty funny though. You know the you know the the drawing that that the kids have done. They've colored them a little too good. Yeah, I, that's the only thing I would say. That you, you should be outside the lines a little bit more, mm -hmm. but uh, they do kind of look like you might think kids would 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 draw. And at the the bottom, you only see a little bit of it, but the flash one, yeah, with he him looks, with yeah, him, him running, running is pretty, yeah. looks look look looks pretty funny. Mm -hmm. I, I'm wondering uh, up in the upper upper right hand corner, it's kind of obscured by the panel where Kyle comes in. If that's supposed to be Martian Manhunter or Ambush Bug. Because it looks yeah, like a little got, antenna, maybe ambush bug. But my the first, yeah, the first guess would have been Martian Manhunter because mm -hmm. he's bald and green. But there are some antenna there, so so yeah, not certain. Um, 
after that, I don't have any uh, notes until we get to the page with uh, Amon Surer introduced. Yes. Yep. Um, well, and, 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 and in that, I, I, I love, again, this, this idea of the, the community center, the, the kids center. We had the, the pictures, and now we've got the kids literally climbing on and hanging off of him. Mm-hmm. Which it's, I think, again, an, another nice touch you know, for the, the setting that the story is taking place in. Yes, that you know he's being that they've they've kind of brought him into this community center, and he's just another another part of the sort of weird world that Connor and uh, Ollie occupy, and that he's there playing with the kids. It makes him feel kind of natural. Uh, I I like that Kyle thinks that immediately it's Abensur when it's eventually Amon, and like I said, it's interesting that he's shown up right at this time when this weird alien drug thing is going down. Uh, his story about him being part of a police force works, and the story about him not getting the ring, there's a hint of jealousy in there, but I don't think it's, you know, it, it could be either it could be either jealousy that's driven him to move to the police force, or it could be something else. Like I said, I haven't read the next couple of issues, so I'm not certain what's going on as well, but it, there, there's... Either way could work out. Mm-hmm. I do get the idea that certainly at least in Space Sector 2814, I imagine it's through all of the sectors that uh, rings are generally not handed down father to son. Yeah. You know, that that's that that's that's not the way it works. But you can understand a son, you know, wanting that, desiring that, dreaming of that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Being inspired by that. Um, after that, I really don't have any notes until page 13. We get the telling of Abans or Imonsur's, uh, desire to try and carry on the land, mantle of Green Lantern. We get more arguing between Ollie and Kyle. Yeah, they're on, on, on nine. I actually want to talk a little bit here, but on, on nine, you know, I don't know much about Ben Robb, but certainly Winnick. You know, he certainly has a tendency, as you've pointed out, towards the you know social conscious end of storytelling. So an overall plot like this is sort of in his wheelhouse. You know, I'm not sure who who's doing you know how closely the the two are working together, but it does sort of seem that the only reason we can ever get a GLGA crossover is to fight some sort of social ill. Mm-hmm. You know that that's sort of become so ingrained as part of their you know, they're, they're, they're team ups that, 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 that seems to be. Yeah. That, that the only time to get them together is for that type of fight. Yeah. That does seem, and, and maybe that's just a, a trope of them wanting to try and carry on the ideals that right. Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams had where the beginning story arc of the green arrow, green lantern right. uh, story was to deal with, you know, racism or deal with, you know, overpopulation or deal with environmentalism. So we had to have these, these sort of heavy issues that brought right. the characters together. That's a good catch. But, yeah. But one of the problems, I think, with the overall storyline is that you, again, I'm, I'm certain this reference was made uh, last episode, I imagine, but that is we can sum up these six issues as drug dealers in space. <laughs> Yep. No. That's that's essentially what it is. It's green, yeah. you know, drug dealers are bad. Oh, and this time they're bad because they're from outer space. 
Now, I did want to talk a little bit about the uh, the fighting mm-hmm. uh, here, specifically on on page ten, and I I I I thought that was in particular quite funny. The banter here between GL and GA worked for me. The new kid versus the old man uh, stuff. I liked it in this issue more um, than in the other one. Um, it seemed to me occasionally to cross the line between gentle banter between friends to actual dislike. And for a superhero on superhero relationship, that's rare, but I don't mind it. Um, you know, in a community as large as the DC universe, some people are just not going to get along. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I love the comic book podcasting community, the greater extended two true freaks family. But I know that there are at least a few people that if I met them in person, we just wouldn't have much to talk about. Yeah, and we wouldn't click personalities, worldviews, priorities, and and that's okay. Having you know some things in common doesn't mean you're going to have everything in common. So in theory, I liked you know this split or this fight. Uh, I thought it was executed better here because there was some funny to it than in the Green Lantern issue we have coming up, where I thought it was more straight, mean spirited. Yeah, this is this is kind of developed from Oliver's. Oliver's way of doing things his way and having more of an old school feel about it while Kyle having right. that more youthful feel. And the, the dynamics of someone from say a generation later versus a generation prior sure. and right. them conflicting, I think works well here. And uh, Adler's art, I think shines, especially when he's drawing Ollie, mm-hmm. when yeah. Ollie's actually yes. out of the, uh, when Ollie's actually out of the costume without the diamond mask on, I think he looks really good here and Adler mm-hmm. does a good job drawing him. Uh, let's see. After that, I, uh, the only, you know, after that, I'm moving on to page 13, okay. you know, after, uh, they encounter the alien who, as you well pointed out, is in the traditional coloring of, of a bad guy. <laughs> Purple and orange, I don't think that says anything but, you know, evil person. But uh, it was interesting. I caught this on the page. Uh, Kyle's trying to translate mm-hmm. what's going on with this alien who's activated his predator-type wrist device that will blow up. Is he said something about a traitor amongst them. So I'm wondering, again, it's just hinted at, but I'm hoping that doesn't mean that there's some uh, that Amon is in some way related this with this, right. but this could ju- you know this is a bad guy. He could just be saying that to try and get the heroes working against each other. Right, right. I, I like on page fourteen where you've got that conversation between Amon and Kyle. It's like affirmation for Kyle mm-hmm. because Amon sir is a total Green Lantern fanboy. Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, it's nice that it it allows him and Kyle to split off and do their thing in space while Connor and Oliver try and take down the the guys here and try and figure out what's going on with the drug dealers down here. So it's it's a way for them naturally to split up, but and also to still have that sort of antagonism between the two main heroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we just get more of that sort of. Green Lantern fanboyishness over on page 16 where, yeah. you know, Amon is questioning him about, you know, how he uses the ring and about the changes to it. 
You know, it's it's all it all seems like fanboy stuff or something that, you know, I, I someone who has had an intimate knowledge of his father and how mm-hmm. the ring worked and how it's changed now. And it, it actually sounds like he's very interested in trying to figure out how this is working. Right. But again, it also makes me feel a bit leery because he's. Right doing all this probing why is he asking all these questions so because right. right. because like you said you could take it as conversation mm-hmm. you could take it as getting to know each other you could take it as the start of a beautiful friendship mm-hmm. or you could take it as ooh, he does seem to be probing and asking and pushing a little yes so it can go either way mm-hmm after that, I really don't have any notes until the end of the book. Well, I like on page 17, the next page, we, we're in, I guess, Ollie's office, his his home office. Yep. And he's got a picture on the file cabinet of himself, Dinah, and Hal up at the top, yep. uh, the, the, the top panel. And I like that because, again, you see it isn't necessarily – well, it is that he dislikes Kyle. But I think part of it is he'd rather be working with Hal. Mm-hmm. So I thought that just added maybe just a little bit of shading to like that. And and I also like on this page how – I do like how Connor is standing. He just looks natural, yes. sort of leaning against the against the, the open door and just the way his feet are crossed, you know, one over each other standing. It looks like a person would stand. Mm-hmm. He just looks relaxed. And I thought that was nice yeah. as well. Um, a couple pages after that, again, it's not a bad disconnect, but it is a disconnect between the look of the heroes, specifically here, Greed Arrow, and the character that he's taking down. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it it's it's like you've got your comic book hero in one part of the panel, and then in the next part of the panel, it's some generic person that's threatening the city of Alexandria in The Walking Dead. So, right. uh, it's it, again, it's not it's not a bad thing, but it's just one of those things now that I've read so much Walking Dead, I can't see these characters as anything other than that. Right. I can see that. I like on the next page, page 20, I like the panel design there. Mhm. Cuz we have basically the ship is decloaking. And that's, you can think of that as the full page, but on, in the top and the bottom are four, you know, smaller panels that are, that are inset. So you get this other image that sort of is serving as the background for those, for those pieces. So it's, it's a nice way of showing, you know, passage of time. Yes. Very good. Uh, That, that, that was just a nice, a nice layout. And then I do think the last couple of pages do show, um, Adlard, in terms of his strength, which is the shadows and the shading, and I, I do think he works well in some some of these, you know, darker types of stories. Obviously, where where the Walking Dead would be a perfect fit for him, and I, I do think that the ending are a couple of the stronger pages, art wise. Green Arrow is you know, drawing a bead on the uh, on the aliens. I like that, and then the the final page uh, is nice as well. What we learned that 
Ollie is not alone on that uh, on that rooftop like he thought he was. There's a nope. an alien up there as well, and he gets he gets uh, zarked. Yes, thankfully they didn't have it uh, set to uh, barbecue like they did in the the previous <laughs> issue, which is good for Ollie. So, but yeah, overall uh, a good story. Uh, at, like you said, with middle chapters, sometimes it's hard to maintain what they started off with in the first part of the books. But I think these or at least this book has been an entertaining continuation of the storyline, uh, developed a couple of new things with the character of Amon Sur and, you know, moved the plot along well. So I enjoyed yeah, it. Definitely. Well, if you're finished with this, uh, we'll go ahead and take another break. And then when we come back, we'll start with our coverage of Green Lantern number 163. Sound good? Mm, okay. <laughs> The Fantastic Arse is your guide to the Fantastic Four from the beginning of the Marvel Age of Comics in 1961 onwards. Each week, Steve Lacey and Andy Leyland cover every issue, spin-off, guest appearance and cameo, and more. And in 2015, we begin our journey through the decade that tastes forgot, the 1970s. Join us as we take a look at... The departure of Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. The Kree Skrull War. The arrival of Marvel Team Up. Bill Murray as the Human Torch. Creators including Roy Thomas, George Perez, Marv Wolfman, Jerry Conway, Rich Buckler, and John Byrne. And of course, Marvel 2 in 1. All this and more at ffcast.libsyn.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. The Fantastic Cast. Insert catchy tagline here. Wait, what? Hi, this is Professor Allen, and when I'm not listening to an awesome podcast, like this one, I'm co-hosting an awesome podcast, The Book Guy Show. Every week, we cover book news, book reviews, comic books, audiobooks, audio dramas, and podcasts. Search for The Book Guy Show on iTunes, or come visit us at bookguys.ca. Okay, we're back once again, and this time it's my turn to take a look at Green Lantern number 163. This one was cover dated in late June 2003, released on April 30th, 2003, and had a whopping $2.25 cover price. I think I got this from, I'm pretty certain I got this from Charlie Niemeyer, where I probably paid about $2 an issue. So significantly more than you paid, Professor Allen, but still not the $0.25 cent price point. <sighs> we, Sometimes we have to sacrifice. We do, unfortunately. The title was On the Waterfront, and the writer, of course, was Judd Winnick. Charlie Adler did the pencils and inks. The letter was Jack Borelli. Colorist was Tatiana Wood. The separations were by Heroic Age. The assistant editor was Morgan Danton Phil, and the editor was Bob Shrek. As Green Arrow, Oliver Queen wonders if he's once again dead because, you know, it's happened to him before. The trio of aliens that subdued him drag his immobile body inside where they can dispose of it in private. Meanwhile, out in space, Kyle and Amon Sur recover from the attack by the cloaked ship last issue. Amon bemoans the loss of the cargo ship, but Kyle says that he can track their ion wake, or some techno babble like that, 
and finds that it's heading straight for Earth, specifically Star City. Impressed by the workings of the ring, Ammon and Kyle speed back to Earth to intercept the otherworldly mobsters. Back at the pier, because where else would an alien shipping organization be hiding out, one of the trio of aliens that took down Green Arrow is trying to convince Boss Skrull to interrogate him, rather than just kill him. Boss Skrull permanently... Uh, well, he, he kind of looks like it. Boss Skrull politely reminds him that if this Terran were to somehow inform the Bagnet commander of their plans, they would be in real trouble. And by politely reminds, I mean zapped him in the chest with his laser gun. Asking if anyone else needs a refresher course on who's the top guy in charge, Boss Skrull tells his thugs to get rid of Green Arrow. Luckily, mainly for Ollie, Green Arrow has snuck off during the business discussion and has almost made it to the roof. But the aliens spot him, open fire, and once again, in a lucky happenstance for Ollie, they are as bad a shot as Imperial Stormtroopers. And Ollie has, and Ollie is able to escape the building by dramatically leaping out a pane glass window. Unfortunately, his luck runs out as he's surrounded by the rest of the alien moving crew, who now prepare to shoot him where he lies. However, Ollie has effectively had enough of this shit and opens up a can of emerald tinted whoop ass on the extraterrestrial thugs. Nearby, Amon and Kyle land on a rooftop to try and get a better fix on where the cloaked ship might be. Ammon comments on how adept Kyle is with the ring, and Kyle says that coming from the son of the legend Avan Sur, that means a lot to him. Ammon says that he knew little of his father, other than what he was told of his legends. And Kyle says that he didn't know his dad either, until a while back when he used his iron powers to track him down and reconnect with him. Ammon wonders what would drive a man to abandon his family, but before Kyle can ask for an expl explanation to the comment, he's found the ship, and the duo head off for the pier. As the cargo craft lands and begins to take on cargo, Green Lantern intervenes with the rhino construct smashing the ship. There, he also finds Green Arrow engaging in the delivery of some consequences, copyright this guy and his daughter, 2014, all rights reserved, and Green Lantern joins into the fracas, but only too late as the ship teleports the items aboard and takes off, blowing up the pier as they leave. Fortunately, Green Arrow is able to recover his hat, and the Emerald allies reunite with Ammon, who says there are a few of the underlings left behind that he was chasing. Hoping that catching them will give them a heads up on the Black Circle, Ollie, Kyle, and Ammon head after the fleeing thugs. Meanwhile, out in space, Boss Skrull and his cronies are rendezvousing with another vessel to transfer the cargo. Unfortunately, the ship is under the command of the Magnet Commander, who is none too pleased with Boss Skrull's betrayal and shows his displeasure by blasting the ship out of the sky. Traitorous underlings taken care of, the Commander has his ship plot a new course, one headed straight for Earth. idea that this 
that there's more goings on with this alien drug green on Earth. We get an idea that they're trying to, there's probably some betrayal or double dealing going along in this Black Circle storyline. Uh, things are actually kind of heating up in this fourth issue, which again is a nice thing because it, for the normal part, middle issues of stories just sort of not really tread water, but just kind of mark time. This is right. progressing the story along really well. And again, I think there's some, there's some good work, uh, some good artwork along with, uh, Charlie Adler once again. Right. Yeah. I, th- I thought this issue was maybe not just not quite as strong as the other one. It's, it just seemed a little more 2000s for me, a little bit of a quicker read. Um, maybe a little bit smaller stakes in this particular issue. But I thought it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. And I, I think and, uh, sorry again for what you're saying for parts three and four of what you know you can get that middle lull sometimes, but you're, you're we're not experiencing that at least. Yeah, I do think that it's Winnick storytelling does tend to yeah, fit fit better into the style or the mode of the 2000s where it is the kind of written-for-the-trade style, but it's not as egregious as many others. It's not quite as in-depth storytelling as Ben Rabes was in the last issue, but it's it, it's engaging nonetheless, so I, I don't have that many complaints about it. No, we, we, we have the exact same art team all the way down for these two. Yes. Was that the same for the prior two as well? Yes. In fact, this was, this was one of those things that I might as well comment on here. It was kind of odd to have Charlie Adler as the artist for the story. Prior to this, as far as my research did, Charlie Adler had done most of his work over in the UK, working on mm-hmm. 2000 AD, right. uh, doing some stories with John Wagner for Judge Dredd and stuff like that. Eventually, he came over and did some stuff for Marvel. I can't remember what he did for Marvel, but I know he did this book called The Establishment, I think, for DC. And I really have no idea what that was about because I wasn't reading all that many alter, you know, uh, other right. than other than the specific hero comics, I wasn't reading much in DC, so I don't know about that. But like I said, his art style is – if you know The Walking Dead, you know Charlie Adler's art style. But it was interesting that both of these books, who the Green Arrow book had primarily been drawn by Phil Hester, who started off the run with uh, Kevin Smith when he brought Oliver Queen back. And Green Lantern had been primar- primarily drawn by um, Dale Eaglesham during the Judd Winnick okay. run. That this storyline, these six issues between these two books, both had specific art by Charlie Adler. And I think this might have been just a way to kind of shake things up because, you know, it's not really spoilers ahead. After this storyline is done, Ben Rabe will come over to the Green Lantern book right. and work on the Green Lantern book almost to the end. And Judd Winnick will move over to Green Arrow and start working on stories again with Phil Hester over there. So it's interesting that we get this little change up, this little – it feels like maybe this should have been a specific graphic novel rather than what would be a trade paperback and put in part of the books, that this might have been a specific storyline there. Yeah, and and, and it, it just seems to have, like you said, the same – the same art team all the way through for six issues that were released twice a month. Mm-hmm. You know, these, these are released. So you, you, you know, artists have 
trouble sometimes getting out one book a month. Yeah, it's so and, and you've got a, a full art team getting out two books a month for three months. So like you said, you get the idea that this was sort of almost a side project. Yeah, that this may have been something planned for possibly a graphic novel right. that they just split up into a full a full six issues. Right. That's and then, a, and that yeah, and then you know and and then in inserted it you know into the run mm-hmm. in essence. And and surprisingly enough, checking Mike's Amazing World DC Comics, this has not been collected in trade, which is interesting. But right. this is this is also part of the sort of in between era where not a lot of stuff was collected in trade in DC. There was right. a lot of things, you know, we haven't quite hit identity crisis yet. And the sort of the Dio era where a lot of the stuff was started to be collecting in trade. Right. So it's in that sort of middle ground where only big stories that are specifically written for trade are put into it. And uh, runs of comics aren't. Um, Going into the book, looking at the cover, I'm not as keen on the design of this cover. There's a bit, there's a bit more wonkiness on this. I like, I like the design of the last of the Green Arrow cover. The the right angles look good. Right. Um. Again, Kyle's legs look way too long. I don't know what's going on with Ollie's left arm. It. Uh, yeah, it looks it, like it's off to his side, but it could be behind. Yeah, it looks like it's behind him, or maybe it's supposed to be bent, and he's his yeah. arm, but it, his arm looks like it's far too short. Mm-hmm. And again, this being Charlie Adler, I have to point this out, Amansura on the panel looks like bald Rick Grimes. <laughs> now, every time you say that. It's you know, true. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's it's not it's not a slight against Charlie Adler. It's just he has a specific style, mm-hmm. and the characters that aren't, you know, supposed to be the heroic characters like Ollie or Kyle, right. have a Charlie Adler design. And having read so many issues of Walking Dead, it's got the same sort of facial features of you know characters that would sure. eventually go into that book. It's, that's a no that. That's an interesting catch. You know, I was I was also, of course, flipping through Mike's Amazing World and noticed that the six – all six of these co- covers do, again, share some consistent – I guess we'd say trade dress or some consistent elements, some consistent looks in terms of the, you know, the, the black and white, some of the design elements. This one, like you said, is not quite as right angly. So it, it, it has a little bit more of a messy look almost, like, like the, uh, the layout or, or those, the, the, just, just the design elements are not quite as strong. Yes. I thought, I thought as the, the Green Arrow one, but I did like looking at all six of them that they're clearly a consistent tone mm-hmm. being set. Yes, and and here you certainly do have the same color schemes, the same shadings of green, lots of black and white as well going on. So, in that sense, there's a, again a level of consistency, which is a nice touch. Yes. Um, moving into the book, it seems. And again, sorry, and and again on on this cover again, you do have uh, Kyle and Ollie on opposite sides of the page, looking in opposite directions. Yes. Again, so again, you're 
you're you're seeing some of those elements. But again, overall, it's it's a little bit of a step back. Yes, it's 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 good, but it's not as it's not as well designed as the previous cover. I will give you give it that. Um, moving into the book, talking about uh, writing and dialogue, I think. I'm getting the feel, specifically from the way Winnick is writing Green Arrow here, that Winnick was kind of getting tired with writing Green Lantern. And like I said, he'll be moving after these series of books over to be writing Green Lantern, or not Green Lantern, but Green Arrow. So I'm thinking this was just sort of a tryout for him. Right. And he does a good job of of writing the character in the dialogue boxes. Um, The artwork's interesting. We commented last episode that the alien, specifically on the first page, the middle one, looks kind of specific. Now I can't, I can't place it, mm-hmm. but he does look like an alien that I've seen before in the DC universe. Mm-hmm. So, no idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, page two. This is the second time in the books we get a slam against the Riddler. Uh, In the first book, uh, Oliver was talking about uh, how he and Kyle were fighting and that uh, Connor said, oh, did did Kyle give you that black eye? And uh, Oliver says, no, I I walked into a door. Kyle slaps like a girly man, like the Riddler. So so here we get uh, the aliens not knowing who he was. He thought that they were the Riddler because he wears a green suit. So I guess the Riddler just can't get any love in the uh, Green Lantern, Green Arrow books. And I'm pretty sure the last time, the last time that you and I talked on a podcast, we were also talking about somebody with a funny hat and lots of question marks on their outfit. Yeah, that's strange. Uh, so that's a Doctor Who reference as much as anything else that I can see. There you go. <laughs> um. After that, I don't have notes until page four. And uh, I, throughout my synopsis, I introduced the uh, sort of guy in the business suit who was an alien as as Boss Skrull. And now, unfortunately, looking at it, his face looks more like the Abomination. Mm, right. uh, he's got the sort of finny-type ears going out. Obviously, the green look, the sort of... Uh, striated nose it's interesting design but still the 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 purplish gray alien it still looks familiar yeah. i just can't point out who it is in the dc universe yeah on the uh on the prior page we were talking about the the kyle and ollie sort of rivalry almost mm-hmm. and at the bottom of that page where kyle's talking to to uh, Emon sir he makes a dig at Ollie. I mean, I, I thought that one was more mean-spirited. It's like Ollie's not even there. Yeah. And he's still digging at him. So, again, that's, to me, the difference between how that sort of rivalry was handled here by Winnick as opposed to Rob in the prior issue. Yeah. At least, um, at least Ollie yeah, this was one there to def- it, defend yeah, himself. It's a, yeah, it's almost more sort of really holding a grudge. And, and really sort of over the top where you're, you know, there's a difference between, you know, talking to someone face to face and in essence talking behind their back. Yes. After that, I don't have uh, much to say during the uh, 
the fight sequence or the argument between the aliens, um, you get that this this group of aliens is pretty ruthless as he just guns down one of his men for making a making a well I don't know an honest mistake but a mistake yeah. nonetheless. Um, and then and, it's and all at this fight. point, it, yeah, and 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 you know, at at this point, it just became a you know gangland story with guys that just happen to have funny faces. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guys you know even wearing the uh, sort of stereotypical you know dark evil business suit. Yes, over his green fleshy mm-hmm. <laughs> reptilian features. Yeah, so I mean that. You know, at, at this point, it, it could almost be any story. Mm-hmm. It could it could be the typical Green Arrow story where he's going in to bust up some drug lords. So exactly, it just so happens that these drug lords, you know, look like the Skrull or the Abomination. And <laughs> instead of using you know guns or Uzis or whatever, they're using you know plasma rifles or whatever. Now, I do I I do like the page. Just jumping up to page eleven, mm-hmm. I do like the page where. Where Ali, as you said, is has had enough and is fighting back. Yes. Again, it is somewhat similar to that page I really liked towards the end of of the the Green Arrow issue, where you have really a full page splash, and in this case, at the bottom you have four tiny tiny squares. Yes. That are showing him really taking out each of these four four bad guys, and I like that again, sort of a not identical. But a similar design aesthetic, I guess. Yeah, you've got the you've got the main sequence that's Oliver leaping into action, and the the four panels at the bottom are sort of inset panels showing him plunging an arrow into someone's shoulder and punching someone, kicking someone, or you know, it's 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 a good design. And I, like I've said, there's no, there's that disconnect between Adler's normal characters and his heroes, but he draws the hero of Oliver Queen here really well. And it's yes. very dynamic and it, it sells the action in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, moving on. And, and to, now, okay. now, just something about Ollie, especially in that page as someone who has a goatee, not nearly as impressive as Ollie's, but I like the fact that it's, it's not perfectly centered. You know what I mean? It's sort of, whether it's sort of his motion you know his, they know that his beard is just off center a little bit, and that's actually the way it happens. Hmm. Yeah, as much as we try, us as goateed fellas, try to get, especially with the, the goatee as long as his, it's gonna, it would take a lot of hairspray or gel yeah, to, to keep get it, it to never move. That you know, <laughs> well, I just and, like that. Well, and that's that's always been the trademark look of Ali, right. and if they. It, it it gives it a more sense of realism if it does have that sort of off-centered look. If it were always in place and at the same angle, no matter where right. Oliver's face moved, it would just seem a bit more awkward. I, I think so. I think so. Uh, my next note's on page 13 where, um, where, where basically, I'm sorry, it's bald Rick and Kyle discussing... <laughs> Look at that! Well, no, I'm so used to seeing Rick black and white. It's a, yeah, it's, he's it's, now it's, he's bright pink. Yeah, 
Yeah. But oh, it, that, yeah, that bottom, the fifth panel. Yes. I mean, absolutely. That's, now that you say it, you can't. Now that you see, I see it. I can't unsee it. Well, and even up at that first panel where he's mm-hmm. turning over and looking at you, you draw some hair on him, take away the color, that design. It, and it's not that it, again, it's not that it's a negative thing, but it's just one of those things. an interesting thing. Where I see that and it's like, that's where Charlie Adler's art is going to move forward and it's it's one of those things where oh i i've seen this many times before but you're seeing it for the first time here in this book and and plus you also get a kind of you know in that fifth panel you get that idea where Amon says you know there can only be so many valid reasons for a man abandoning his family and he's got this look on his face that he's possibly holding a grudge against his father yeah, this is this. I I just wrote down things get real for a moment. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, in the next panel, Kyle's like, "What? What? What?" He goes, "Sorry," but of course, it's interrupted by the ring telling him, you know, where the aliens are. So there is no opportunity to discuss that sort of ominous line that Amonsur talked about in the previous panel. But it, it's it's. I think Winnick does a good job seeding this idea, but I think both writers have done an exceptional job of, you know, giving a little bit more shade to the character of Amon. He's not just a cop. There could be something else going on with him. So I I like the way they're seeding these things here. Mm -hmm. Um, I I, had two things on page 15. Yes. One is the green rhino. Is awesome. <laughs> yes, and that I, is awesome. Just a dropping out of the sky, wham! And I like that it's. That. I like that it's not super realistic. It's still kind exactly. of cartoony, and I, you know, it, it falls into line with Kyle's love of anime. He doesn't feel the need to give his stuff ultra realism. Right. And in fact, in the past couple of issues, most of the stuff has had a sort of cartoony look of Kyle's, um, you know, Kyle's constructs. I do wonder why Kyle was carrying and why on this bottom panel, he's got a big sort of antenna walkie talkie as well. You know, he's got that, he's got that big Skype headphone thing with the big antenna, but whatever comics is now, this is a specific question on this page, but it's actually a broader, a little bit broader conversation I had recently on Facebook or somewhere about pop culture references in comics whether we like them or not, hmm. because he's talking to Abensor about Brittany and Prince and making these music references. Does that, what do you think when you see those? Uh, you know, to, well, first of all, I'm going to have to point out that if he is making a pop reference, the song is not, I'm not that innocent. And I'm sad that I know that the fact the song is Oops, I Did It Again. So on one hand, Kyle is incorrect when he's making a pop reference and incorrectly referencing what the song is. But to the bigger picture... Now probably, I was going to say, knowing Judd Winnick, that's probably is Kyle getting it wrong. Okay. As a character, I would think... That Judd Winnick would... Yeah, I mean, to me, Winnick would be a little more plugged into that. Okay. Well, if that's the case, I can kind of forgive that but to your overall point of do these pop cultural reference hinder or help the story 
my general thought would be more to hinder them. It that's what I that's sort of where I lean. It kind of there are some things that you want to make, especially in a superhero comic, to keep to give it a timeless feel, to not specifically date it to a certain era, right. because everyone will have positive and or negative feelings about a certain era. And if you can give your book a timeless type feel, regardless of the look of the art, I think that helps right. sell the book a lot more. It's not, go ahead. I was going to say one exception that I, I, I'm on that, on that same wavelength. And to me, if when, when you're making the reference, if it's a reference that's already stood the test of time, like here in 2003 or so when this book is being published, you know, if it's a reference to something from the nineties that has sort of stood the test of time at that point for 10 years or something, then maybe, but you, you, you know what I mean? As opposed to latching onto something where you don't know if the it, particular it, reference is going to last. You know, a, a good example would be in the Avengers movie where uh, they make reference right. to flying monkeys. And, exactly. And, and right. Captain America goes, I get that reference. Right. That's that's something that's sort of timeless. and You, you can know, sort of trust that it's going to stay mm-hmm. in the public consciousness. Yeah, there's – you know, again, you know, twelve, thirteen years later, when 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 we're reading this, yeah, there's always that there's always that thing that the big pop culture reference exactly. of the time may not withstand exactly. the test of time, and exactly. you know, you talking about the Venga Brothers or the Venga Brothers and that song is not going to mean anything, anything right. to anyone ten years from now. Yeah, yeah, so, I, I I think that's the risk that that is run there. So yeah, I I think that. You know, Britney is one of those things, or Britney Spears is one of those things that might have withstood the test of time. I know she's she's working on one of these pop shows, like she was working on American Idol, I thought, or The Voice, or something like that. X Factor, I don't know. And, I don't and, watch any and, of those. And, and actually, Prince, just as a generic reference to Prince, is actually actually works for me. Yes, I think so because, you get down to this point of a specific song by a specific artist, you really run a risk. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's because Prince has not aged in any way, shape, or form. Right, exactly. And I think that's uh, I, I think there's there's things that we could delve into, otherworldly things. That's why Prince hasn't <laughs> aged at all. But I don't want him to come and to my house and, you know, siphon my essence from me or anything. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to run the League of Assassins one day. I just think there's a chance. <laughs> well, you know, the you know the whole idea of Prince, you know, <laughs> bathing every once in a while in Lazarus Pit would would not... Uh, that would, answer some questions I've always had about him. They would readily explain sometimes why he acts kind of uh, wacky. But, no, regardless. <laughs> um... Moving on after that, I, I, I like the the fight sequence. I like that they finally, even though that they are still ribbing each other on the next couple of pages, that they get together and fight. Uh, I think they do a good job of it. Uh, you know, the, the constructs are kind of neat. The uh, Once again, mm-hmm. we've got Kyle with the, uh, the circus chimps taking him down. Right. Um, I do have to wonder on page 18, the... Uh, 
the aliens on the ship teleport all the items onto the ship. Why did they need to land then? Why couldn't they just yeah. from space, you know, oh, here's where they are, teleport them up, you know? It seems kind of like a a cheat or a deus ex machina or just a way to get out of you know, to, to to quickly move the plot along. But you know, that that would be my only minor nitpick. And then it's here, I like on um, well here on page it's maybe I'm a little slow on the uptake, but it was here on page nineteen and twenty that I started to not trust Amansor. I mean, you were on this in the middle of the last issue. But this, I confess, is where it's, where it clicked to me that ooh, maybe it's a little too convenient. Yeah, the, that it's when he shows up that these things are when he's off screen that these things are happening. And and it and it's here on page twenty when he says, "It's us. We're the Walking Dead." Oh wait, sorry, that's not. <laughs> sorry, I may, may, may have misread that. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, that was edited out. Uh, I thought I think I think the the penciler uh, misquoted that line, but it should have been in there. Yeah, but this is where this is where I start. Oh, maybe there's something. I I bought him up to this point mm-hmm. because the, the the prior two pages you see everyone going up against the, or Kyle and Green Arrow going mm-hmm. against these guys and taking him out full force, and then suddenly, right as the explosion goes down, here comes Amon Sur going, hey, how's everything going? I tracked these guys <laughs> over here. Yeah. So, yeah, it does It does lead you to believe that there's a possibility that something might be going on. Mm-hmm. And and then we move to the uh, final two pages nice. where where we get the uh, the big ship coming up and basically taking out these people for failing on earth and this unseen this unseen uh magnet commander uh is going to head down to earth and try and uh fix things for their little drug organization so yeah. once again another good cliffhanger re- ending yeah. which yeah. makes me want to take uh take the time out and get the next couple issues well you have to yes i mean i'm not i'm just just gonna say well but it makes me want to make sure i listen to the next episode of just one of the guys <laughs> that was an excellent plug sir thank you very much <laughs> no, and, actually it did you know like i said I, I i haven't read i didn't read one and two and i haven't read five and six so i i don't know where the story uh, is going but i am i am really looking forward just to seeing how it does wrap up well and, and, and again there's that silliness that drug dealer in space sort of silliness to the whole premise and just by hearing that you think can they really stretch it to six issues but it hasn't felt but in as as reading it it hasn't felt stretched so far yeah that's it's they they've made as best they could with what sort of seems like a limited plot almost you know yeah i, I that's that's one thing that i am impressed with this could have been easily a four-issue crossover like we did with the initial uh, Green Lantern, Green Arrow crossover. Mm -hmm. Or it could have even been, I think, uh, the one that we did with the hate crime storyline was only three issues. So um, it's... Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's weird. It's sort of like the amount of story, it it seems a little light, but the way it's being told is pretty much working, I think. Yes, and I'll be... Once again, I, I have not read ahead 
for the next issues. I will be making up notes uh, later this week. But uh, like I said, I've enjoyed it. It's had some good cliffhangers. Adler's art, even though recognizable nowadays as being <laughs> proto-Walking Dead, right. is really good. I think he's got the dynamism of the characters down really well. And Ben Rabe and Judd Winnick specifically even more Ben Rabe have been entertaining me with the stories. So overall Good. I'm liking right. this professor Allen. It is always a joy to have you on this show. And it's always a joy to get to listen to your shows. I know I do this every time, but I would like to give you the opportunity to, to go ahead and plug the uh, shows over at relatively geeky. Well, thank you. Well, I am, uh, I'm probably best known for being you know, a guest on just one of the guys, episode 133, and whatever else I've been on this show, I don't remember. But which, which was the highest rated "Just One of the Guys" episode ever, except for 150 with Emily, probably. But uh, anyway, I'm I'm used to that. I'm not bitter about it. <laughs> I am used to that. Well, uh, well, thank you, Sean. Over at Relatively Geeky, the Relatively Geeky Podcast. Blogspot.com. You can find our three core shows. Mine, as we have referenced many times, is the uh, Cheapskate's Guide to Comic Books or something like that. I don't remember. Uh, the Quarter Bin, the Quarter Bin podcast. And if, if ever a podcast host and a podcast topic were perfectly suited for each other, it is me and Cheap Comics. So if saying if you had tapped my mom and my wife – and my daughter on the shoulder 15 years ago and said, your son, husband, father will be known for being the cheapest comic book collector on the internet. They all would have said, yeah, I don't know what the internet is, but I can, I can believe that. <laughs> so that's my, my solo show, the quarter bin podcast. Uh, Emily occasionally does her solo show uncovering the bronze age which uh, she promises me at some point in the future will include some classic Green Lantern, Green Arrow. Looking forward to that. Yeah, because that's you know, her focus is a little bit on the, those that early to mid seventies era, where they're trying to do some more socially conscious sorts of storytelling, and that's what intrigues her. And then together, like like a team up of Green Lantern and Green Arrow. Two of us who don't really like each other very much. Yet, wait, sorry, did that <laughs> slip out? What I meant was, we team up like Voltron, like the Transformers, like and Jan and Jason Jan or Jan and Jana, Jason Jana. Who the heck are the Wonder Twins? We know. Form of? I don't remember. <laughs> Shape of something else. We uh, together do the uh, short box showcase. Uh, show and all of those are available on relatively geeky podcast at blogspot.com or by searching on iTunes for relatively geeky. You should all definitely go and check out all the shows on there. They're all well worth your time. They're, they, they come to the top of my podcasting list when they come out. I no, honestly they do. And we discussed this prior to this, the most recent episode that you released, uh, for short box showcase was one on antiheroes. And I loved how Emily had to come in and give definitions of, of that while you came in and gave your comic book love of it. So it's, it's always wonderful to listen to all the shows over at relatively geeky. Thank you, Sean. Like I mentioned, uh, 
in, in, in the pre-show, anytime a topic seems vaguely academic, that is Emily. When it's about just reading comics, that's pretty much me. And it's always it's a fun listen. But well, thank you. But thank you, Professor Allen, for coming on the show, and thank you, everyone, for downloading and listening. Next time out, we will be finishing up the Black Circle Urban Night storyline with Green Lantern number 163 and Green Arrow number 25. So we hope you come back to figure out what's going on with Abin Sur, or Amon Sur, sorry, with Kyle Rayner and with Oliver Queen, and whether there's some really spicy chili at the end. We'll find out. But thanks again for downloading and listening, and we'll see you next time on another episode of Just One of the Guys. Bye, everyone. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingle. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books could be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcomed too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at the brand new Two True Freaks website located at twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the RSS feed as well as scans of the covers and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Two True Freaks Presents Just One of the Guys podcast and you can subscribe to the show there. You can search for me on Facebook as well. And now you can find me there as it was a requirement of my new Demonsacore contract. But it doesn't mean that I'll be joining your little Candy Crush group anytime soon. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. The opening music for today's show was The Rolling Stones with their classic song, Paint It Black off the album Aftermath. Of course, if you wanted to buy the Rolling Stones, once again, you're making a good choice in music, because who doesn't love the Rolling Stones? And of course, one of the best places to go buy music by the Rolling Stones is Amazon.com. And for us here at Two True Freaks, the best way to get to Amazon.com is to use the link at twotruefreaks.com. If you go to the webpage, twotruefreaks.com, and click on the banner in the upper left-hand corner, you'll be transported to Amazon, where you can buy the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, the Who, the Kinks, many other of the wonderful British invasion bands from the 1960s, and all at ridiculously low prices. Plus, any time that you use the link at twotruefreaks.com and you make a purchase at Amazon, a little bit of your purchase price gets shunted back to the Two True Freaks website. It doesn't cost you anything at all extra, but the purchase really helps out the website. So anytime you're thinking about buying music, movies, DVDs, games, or whatever your heart could desire, make sure you use the link at twotruefreaks.com. No, no, this is where I put my foot down. (laughs) We will not be covering Green Lantern on this podcast.
You, sir, may go away. No more. I take over the show. Doom commands. I, I figured out what, what my deal is and, and how I distinguish myself from the rest of the comic book collecting community. I, I've, I've defined myself more of as a consumer rather than a collector. Yeah. I've not felt the need to have every issue of every comic and all these different runs. If I see something interesting that I like, I don't feel the need to hunt down all of that run. Right. So, so far, I only have like six mostly full long boxes of comics, right. which is infinitesimally small compared. You know, oh, I went, yeah. I, I went over to, I actually went over to Scott Gardner's house and saw his room with, uh, long boxes and, and you pa- came out alive. Surprisingly, I wasn't buried underneath them, <laughs> but, um, you know, it was, it was a wall, a good sized wall, I would say stacked. Maybe at least 10, 15 across and three high and two deep worth of long boxes. And I was right. like, wow, wow, that's, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. But, I just, yeah, when I, when I came back to comics, maybe a decade or so ago, I decided I was coming back as a reader. Yes. You know, not as a, not as a collector. And, you know, there have been a couple of times, you know, where I've, you know, when I, well, when I, when I ordered these two books from mycomicshop.com, you know, there were a couple of things that I, you know, I had one, two, and four of a four issue. I, 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 you know, I, I plugged a couple of holes while I was at it, but you know, it's not uh, not maniacal about it. Yeah. You know, well, and those holes had been there for quite some time. You mentioned on you're going to be doing a convergence uh, yeah. short box showcase. I have not. I, I've been to the store and I picked up zero and number one. I haven't picked up any of the tangent issue. I don't think the tangent issues are coming out until I this week. I don't think anything with tangent has come out on convergence yet. Yeah, uh, because I I got yeah. my, my the, yeah. uh, tomorrow I think my comic book shop pulled the Flash Speed Force one, and I think they're going to be pulling the Flash one. That was good. That has yeah, that I enjoy, I enjoyed that. That was fun. It was nice to see Wally back in the costume. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't know anything about his kids, but I like the dynamic of them right. and him sort of dragging them along with the speed force. I that was pretty funny. I like the inclusion of what Fastback, the turtle right. from Captain yes. Carrot. I thought that was I thought that was amusing. But I don't know how I feel about convergence. I read the zero issue and I love Dan Jurgens. I, I make no qualms about that. But it felt it it felt like they were trying to do a crisis type story, right? But I just I we have not read it. we yeah we have not read the main title. Oh, you haven't and yet? No. Are you? I think are you we're going to get it's it's four ninety nine for one thing. Yeah. That, and as 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 many as we're buying at three ninety nine, mm-hmm. adding another one at four ninety nine just seemed to be a. To be, yeah, next week I think we're buying eight of the ten. Oh wow! I mean, it, but but and I've really but I they're I mean to to me they're almost I, I just like to think of them that as the way that they pitch them you know as as the standalone two yes. two issue arcs. That's kind of what that's kind of what I'm gathering. I think the overall story is kind of it, if you don't know what's going on, do you want me to kind of just give you a sort of plot yeah. idea? Yeah. Essentially, what it is is. Brainiac, 
right. from all over the universe is gathering up characters from all over the universe to have them in these one cities where they fight against each other. It's kind of like Crisis meets Fight Club, basically. Right, right. And 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 and, and that you can pretty much get from the individual stories. Yeah. And but some of my I, I really liked the one that I was expecting it to be, I was hoping it would be good, but was surprised was the question. Oh yeah. That one was really strong. And a couple of, I mean I, I I don't think I've been disappointed flat out by any of the ones I've read. They've all been pretty Speed good. Yeah, em- em- Emily didn't like Speed Force. Really? Much. See, because Speed Force is the only one that I picked up so far, and you know I was okay with it. I I was I guess I was just glad to see Wally back in the book because right, we haven't right. seen Wally in the new Fifty Two. Titans was great. See, Titans I didn't was pick another up another one that was really. Good. I'm Superman to... wasn't bad either. Oh, the one where he and Lois is. This this the one with pregnant uh, pregnant, pregnant Lois. Lois. Yeah. Yeah, I think. I think the individual books, I think, are going to be more standouts than the overall storyline. I think it'd probably be better – you'd be better served to pick yeah. up – if you wanted to, to pick yes. up the Convergence trade. You, that's I think that's what we're thinking. We'll do the Convergence trade when it comes either from the library or wherever. Because at, at five bucks a pop, that's yep. 40 yeah. bucks to pick up the issues. Or at the, or at the cheaper price when it comes out somewhere, you know, on a yeah. discount somewhere. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I've got a feeling that – the, I think that the issue twos. Uh, what I've liked about the issue ones is that it's all the same setup, obviously. Mm-hmm. But everyone's taking it a little bit differently, in terms of you know how they're telling the story, and then it, they've really been character pieces, really. Yeah. You know, um, and that's what I liked about the Speed Force one, like you said, the relationships. I imagine the issue twos are pretty much going to be punchy, punchy, fight, fight. Yeah. You know, so those might get a little repetitive. <laughs> Yeah, but that, that the only thing you know where I see. But as long as they keep, you know, some of the character, the character beats, and that that's what I've liked about you know mm-hmm. about the ones that I've read so far. Yeah, I, I have I have more hopes for the individual books. Yeah. The 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 main story has been, like I said, it's trying to get the feel of Crisis while right, sure. not quite getting it right. Yeah. You know, it, it, I can see that. It'll be interesting, but yeah, at five bucks a pop, it's it is somewhat cost prohibitive. <laughs> have you watched any Daredevil? I've watched. I've watched. See, I finally got caught up on a lot of my shows. Right. I haven't watched much of Daredevil. I watched the first episode. I really, really like it. Since it is on Netflix, I've got whenever I yeah, exactly. have an opportunity to watch it. I I I think they've got the characterizations really well down. I like the sort of subtlety when uh when uh uh Matt's talking to Karen and he's trying to suss out whether she's lying or not, the subtle right. heartbeat yeah. speeding up in the background. Mm-hmm. It's not telegraphed that he's he's figuring this out. It's done very well. The fight choreography is nice. It's it's pretty brutal. Yes, and I've heard that you, it even you've gets watched worse. the second. Have you watched the second episode? I, I've yet to watch the second one, yeah, but I hear that's the great fight scene. That at the is end, the fight is scene of, yeah. that 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 pretty much you know cements it. And there's one coming up. It's towards the end. It's foggy and 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 Matt having some basically an, some an consequences. episode of them, yeah, confronting each other. Mm. And there's some great parts about the uh, like you were saying about the heartbeat and. You know, Foggy's saying, so every time I've lied, you've known about it. 
Mm. And and he said, oh, you know, I mean, really, you know, sort of a unintentional, intentional invasion of privacy sort of issues that are there. It's really interesting. You know, mm. again, you know, not doing, you know, the bleep, 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 you know, radar sense, but, you know, doing enough to get you sort of in Matt's head as to how he's, you know, where his powers are. But then also, you know, when he applies those to innocence and to friends, it's like, hey, 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 hey. That is kind of a, you know, that is yeah, kind of a violation that never, of trust. I don't read enough Daredevil, but I, that's an interesting take I hadn't, yeah, I hadn't I, really thought of. I got kind of lucky. Uh, David Weider had been doing the Daredevil right. 101, and he had offered up, you know, you share posts or whatever on mm-hmm. Facebook. I was lucky to get a digital copy of the 2011 uh, mm, first right. issue of Mark Wade's. And I haven't had a chance to read all the way through it yet, but what I have read of it, I really enjoyed. It's it looks like one of those things that I might want to either pick up and trade or see if I can find the issues in, you know, back issue bins if they're for relatively cheap because he seems to have a good dynamic on him. He he writes it really well and it's it's actually kind of fun. He's bringing him back from the very dark and grim that uh, I think what uh, Andy Diggle was writing him. Right. So uh, I'll have to check that out. But I've been I've been finally caught up on my CW stuff. Oh, uh, I haven't because I haven't watched the first two seasons of Arrow. I haven't been keeping up on Arrow, but I've heard that's been really good. Right. I'm caught up on Flash. Yeah. I've been really enjoying that's that, been. and I, I've started to watch iZombie as well. I Emily's been enjoying iZombie. She, had she ever watched any? Um, oh, what's that? Veronica Mars. Prior no. to that, okay, I had, I had. What I what I've heard is the sort of feel of it is a lot right. like Veronica Mars, sort of the writing style, and I've enjoyed right. that. Um, I'm way behind. I don't think I've watched an episode of Agents of Shield mm-hmm. since Agent Carter finished and right. Shield came back. So Agent Carter was great. That was yes, fun. Agent Carter was a one. You know, and that's that's what I'd like to see them do. I'd like to see them do these little short. Yeah. You know, eight part sort of mini series rather and again, than that one that 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 one where she was working with the with the howlers that uh, you know we can just do that, that was, we can do we can do six six episodes with them next oh, next yeah. winter or this summer well, and even her working with uh Edmund Jarvis, I thought exactly. I thought Jarvis yeah. was a great addition to the story as right. well, so that would you know yes i i i would I would watch. Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't want to see an entire series, but I wouldn't mind seeing these little short one-off things. Exactly, exactly. And I still haven't watched the last episode of Constantine. It's on my DVR. I don't want to watch it because I, uh, I don't want to, I don't want it to be the last episode. Yeah. And I, I'm hoping that eventually yeah. someone like Sci-Fi or USA will pick it up and run with it. Because and the problem is, it does sort of end with a twist. Uh, and Lord. so it's like, oh. Constantine. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, I, I feel your pain. You yes. yes, I can. I feel your pain. <laughs> yeah, she loved that one. In uh, case know, it wasn't clear. You know, the, the, I I have a feeling. You know, yeah, she did. She's doing everything she can. She's buying trades. She's got a t-shirt. Got a t-shirt. She's doing everything <laughs> she can. See, I have hopes. You know, and. Say what you will about the Sci-Fi Channel. I think that putting Constantine on the Sci-Fi Channel would be a good choice. 
Yeah. You know, they're they're obviously involved with NBC Universal. It they wouldn't have to switch it up all that much. There could probably be a little diminishment. And yeah, and, and have to cut the budget a little bit. But the thing is sci-fi. Yeah, it is sci-fi. And, and sci-fi is now known for crappy ghost uh, but you know, I had to talk Emily down off the ledge every day. Uh, it's, it's, I, I completely understand. <laughs> if she wants it to go to Fox, the Gotham and Constantine. Uh, that, I don't. Well, the you know the fact that Fox is bringing back X Files. True, to bring it back X Files wouldn't be surprising Ooh, if they would Constantine X Files okay. have a have a double feature with that. But yeah, now you've just raised Emily's hopes more. Thanks, Sean. Yeah, yeah. Well. I, I see. I see them more. I I know. I, I what was it? The latest Fire and Water was talking about this. That you know, yeah, right. the Flash gets really low ratings on the CW and is considered an all and out hit, while Constantine gets higher ratings on NBC and it's considered better. Yeah. Expectations. Yeah, exactly. Which is sad. 